means it's it's at, at that moment uh, as they're camped outside of the of the Jordan outside of the promised land they're about to enter in Moses knows he's not going to be able to enter in because of his disobedience because he smote the rock when he was supposed to speak to it and Deuteronomy is basically a long farewell address from Moses to the next generation that's about to enter into the land of promise the first generation was not able to enter in because they sinned against God because when they got there, they were supposed to enter in, and they did, and they sent spies into the land. They listened to what men said, and they ended up wandering in the wilderness till that entire generation passed away. Then we get to Deuteronomy, and it's literally the second giving of the law, because now he's letting the next generation know all that, the, that their parents had learned. And he's reminding them of the things God had done for them, and the things that God wanted to do in them, and the promises that God had for them. And then last week, as we got in Deuteronomy 5, we saw the Ten Commandments, because those, those commandments were given again to that next generation. A lot of times we look at the commandments, we look at the Bible, and sometimes people think of it as being a book of don'ts. You know, just a bunch of don'ts, and if I read it, I'm going to be accountable. And, you know, again, it's God's love letter to us, and He gives us the commandments and the law because He loves us and He wants to keep us from harm. And too often we look at God's Word and we people fear it. They think, oh, if I read it, then I'm going to have to change the way I live. Well, amen. If you read it, hopefully you will change the way you live. But the reality is that it's God's love letter to us. And then last week, the title of the message was For the Love of God. And he was exhorting them to make God's Word his priority. If you were here last week, he talked about making God's Word the priority in their hearts, in their children, in their lives, and in their homes. And then he warned them about the things that would cause them to forget God's Word. First of all, physical blessings. We talked about this. You know, sometimes... You know, in this country, we're so wealthy that we get so caught up in our stuff that we forget about God. We're no longer desperate for Him. I talked about the fact that being in India, where these people are very, 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 very poor, living in grass huts, and they don't even know where breakfast is going to come from tomorrow, there's a desperation for God. Where here, we become so self-reliant, often we, become, we lose our desperation for Him. There's a lack of godly fear that will keep us from God's commands. Again, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. False gods, disobedience. It's amazing how when we disobey God and we build a bridge between us and the Lord, we break fellowship with Him, that as we continue on in that and we stop listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how far away we can get. And God's desire is that when we, we, we uh, blow it, when we sin, that we should repent and get in right fellowship with Him. We saw then also God's command as a constant reminder of God's deliverance for future generations. So tonight, we're going to continue on, and this again is a long message by Moses, and we're going to continue on looking. Now he's going to really exhort them as they're getting ready to enter into the land of promise, that they're to be separated to God. That as they enter into the land of promise, they're not just to go into this land and just start being like the world. And again, it blows my mind, and you've heard me say this, that there are many churches today that say the way we need to reach the world is to become more like the world. Show me somewhere in the Bible where that's ever said. Show me where Jesus went out and was like the world. He said to be in the world, but not of it. He told us that we're to, fellow, to, to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. And so, it's so clearly contrary to what God says. One of the greatest dangers facing the children of Israel as they're about to enter the land of promise, and it's the same danger for you and I today, is succumbing to the temptation of being joined to the world in its fleshly pursuits. You know, the temptation is really great for us because the very things that bring pleasure to the world entice our flesh as well. You know what? Sin is fun or we wouldn't do it. Amen? The Bible tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. It's not a temptation if there wasn't some pleasure behind it. 
some pride behind it, something that elevates us, something that feeds our flesh. And that's why we're enticed by it. And he said, look, you're going to be going into a land where it's people that, that that's, their whole life is all about that pleasure and pursuing the things of the flesh. And you're going to be surrounded by it, and it's going to be very easy for you to fall into the temptation. The message is true for us tonight as well. So consuming can this temptation become that we either forget or we choose to ignore God's promises, His commands, and His warnings. Our flesh will overrule our spirit. How many of you know you can do that? You know, there's times when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you can hear God whisper, and you're so convicted by your sin, and then you get out of fellowship, you stop reading the Bible, you're not in prayer, you're not surrounded by godly people, and before you know it, you're living a life, and you're walking outside of God's will, and you don't hear His voices clearly anymore. You know what? That can happen to all of us. Take heed lest ye fall. And that's why it's so important that we be in the Bible. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Be in the Word of God every single day because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But he knew that the children of Israel were going to go in and a great temptation was going to be waiting for them. And we start to disregard God's Word and the conviction of the Spirit. The result is outright rebellion against God. Have you ever, have you ever known a Christian or somebody who was on fire for God and then you meet them later and their walk is stone cold? I guarantee you that did not happen overnight. People don't go from being on fire for God to being in rebellion with God. It takes time and compromise and getting caught up in other things and putting God on the back burner of your life before you know it, your walk is cold. You guys have all, I'm sure, heard that analogy. You take a bunch of hot coals and you put them in a, in a pile and you take one hot coal out of that pile and you set it off by itself. What happens to it? It dies. The heat goes away, and the same is true for you and I in our walk with God. We separate ourselves from fellowship, we take ourselves away from other believers, and we too will grow cold. And with that knowledge, God gives them a a clear picture that to Israel that they're about to enter into this land of promise. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, it's a land that's rich with blessing, but it's also a land with temptation and potential pitfalls. And again, just the same is true for you and I. We live in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. And we're blessed by God. But at the same time, there's temptation all around us. And God's desire is that we would pursue Him with our whole heart and not fall into temptation. Obediently following God's loving and gracious commands and warnings results in blessings of fruitful life, the Spirit leading us in our walk with God. Succumbing to worldly temptation, the traps of the enemy, our fleshly desires, results in broken fellowship with God, a loss of godly blessings, righteous judgment, and all the consequences that go with sin. Our Father loves us so much, you guys, and He warns us repeatedly. He convicts us, and He makes the way of escape. You know, every time we sin, we choose to do it, amen? Every time. You don't trip into sin. You don't fall into sin. You choose to sin. We all do, and we choose it every day. There's times when opportunities come and and the way of escape is made and God makes it so clear to us and we choose to sin. And he's warning them that, you know what, if you choose to sin, if you choose to rebel, there's going to be consequences. And he's preparing them because they're God's chosen people, as we're going to see in the text tonight. You know what, God wants to keep us from harm, not from fun. And too often, again, you know, I'm a dad. My kids don't understand sometimes. Or when I'm counseling people, or even in my own life. Sometimes we think, man, I just got to do that. It'll be so much fun. Well, I just have to do that. And the reality is that God's word is there not to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. The greatest joy in the world is walking in intimate fellowship with God. It's true for Israel, and it's true for you and I today. And the key to a fruitful life is to respond in obedience to the word of God, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross, and to follow him. Deny self means deny the desires of your flesh. 
Every day there's a battle going on. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, you got the fleshly tiger and the spiritual tiger battling for control of your, of your walk every day. And which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. If you feed your spirit all day long, if you spend time in prayer, you spend time in the Word, you're in fellowship, then you'll be able to succumb and, and, and turn away from temptation and seek the Lord. But if all you do is feed your flesh all day, you're going to fall for temptation. He said, not only deny ourselves, but take up the cross. And that means die to our will and follow Jesus. So, tonight's message is entitled, Separated from the World. And what we're going to see tonight is first that separation from the world keeps us from sin and compromise. Second, we're going to see separate, we should be separated from the world because the Lord loves us and He knows what's best for us. Thirdly, we're going to see that we should be separated from the world because God is faithful to His promises. Third, uh, fourthly, we're going to see that we should be separated from the world because it results in great blessing. And then lastly, we're going to see that if we will be separated from the world, that God has great promises for us. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at separation, keeping us from sin and compromise. Now, it's interesting. The children of Israel were called by all the people outside. People had a name for the children of Israel. Balaam said of them, he said, they referred to them as people dwelling alone. When he talked about Israel, oh, they're the people that dwell alone. You know, people of Israel were expected to be separated people. They were God's chosen people. God had commanded Abraham. What did he tell him to do? Leave and go to the land that I will show you. And you stay there. And if you stay there, I will bless you. And what happened when famine came? Where did Abraham go? He went to Egypt. How'd that work out, right? I mean, God had a place for him. God had a plan for him. He went outside of God's will and he dealt with God's, with the consequences of his sin when he left the land. Throughout history, when Israel maintained a separated position by obeying God's word, God blessed them. But when Israel compromised with other nations, worshiped their God, it led to failure and defeat. The same is true for us. But Pastor Dave, aren't we supposed to be salt and light in the world? Aren't we supposed to be an example? If we're separated, how can we be an example? That doesn't make any sense to me. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We are to be salt and light to the world around us, but we're not to be dwelling in our flesh in the world. So let's begin taking a look at separation, keeping us from sin and compromise in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. Now what I love about this is he says, when the Lord your God brings you in, not if, when. And do you understand that in God's eyes, it is finished? And he sees the beginning from the end, and in God's eyes, they were already in the land, he already knew it was going to happen, and the same is true for your life. Do you know that God already knows? He's already numbered your breaths. He's numbered your heartbeats. He knows if he's going to rapture you or he knows how long you're going to live and how your life's going to come to an end. He knows when you're going to be in his presence and he knows everything that's going to happen to you between now and then. Now, he's sovereign, he's God, he's in control, but he also gives you free will. He knows what choices you're going to make. And it's awesome when he looks at him and says, when you go into the land, when you get there, you're going to fight all these battles. There's going to be seven great nations before you. And after you wipe them all out, and I love that. He says it as if it's already taken place. Because again, our God is faithful and He's in control. They weren't even in the land yet. Moses is still telling them about the fact that they're getting ready to go in. But God is always faithful to His Word. His promises are a done deal. And what I love about that is He saw the immediate future as already being done. But you know what? That also means that all the promises in the Word of God are, are as good as done. Amen? The fact that you and I are going to heaven, good as done. 
We're going. The fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, good is done. The fact, all the things that we see in the book of Revelation, as good is done. Because when God says it, that settles it, and it's a fact. And so both uh, His promises to bless, to bless Him with obedience and righteously judge disobedience, He told Him, look, my word is going to be faithful. When I tell you that I'm going to do something, you can trust it. And if we walk in obedience to His word, we can know there will be a joy and blessing. But when we walk in disobedience, we know that we will face righteous judgment. And look what He says here. And you're going to cast out many nations before you. Again, the battle had already been won. Seven nations. Now, all, all of these nations were descendants of Canaan. The Canaanites and all these others were descendants of Canaan. There were seven nations that were in the land. And they were all greater and mightier than Israel, it says there. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. But you know what? They're not greater and mightier than God. Amen? And too often we look at our problems from a physical perspective. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like uh, the Lord telling me, okay, you're going to go fight the seven top heavyweights in the world, the heavy, the, and you're going to wipe them all out. Okay, yeah, right. Right, you know what I mean? And if I look at it from a physical perspective, okay, you're going to fight Tyson, you're going to fight each one of these guys one at a time, and you're going to smoke them all. Oh, I don't think so, right? And that's what he's saying. You're going to go in, and these armies are going to be mightier than you. They're going to be greater than you, and you're going to wipe them all out. You need to trust me. Because they might be greater than you, but they're not greater than God. God was bringing Israel face to face with a challenge which was impossible in their own strength. You know what, guys? That's where we grow. You see, it's easy to trust God when my bills are 500 bucks and I got $5,000 in the bank. Yeah, I'm trusting the Lord. Right? No problem. Right? Write a check, I'm done. It's different when you got $5,000 worth of bills and $500 in the bank. Amen? And then it's like, wait a minute, this is overwhelming. And you know what that does? It makes us desperate for God, and that's when we grow. And when we're faced with an enemy that seems overwhelming, that's when we grow. And he says, well, I'm going to take you in. Now, did God know the armies that were in the land of promise? He put them there. Amen? He said, you're going to go in and inhabit the land, but guess what? When you get there, there's going to be some big stuff waiting for you. And he put them there specifically that they might grow in their faith and learn to trust God. When we face what is impossible for us, and we trust God, that's when we grow. And praise God that He allows us to go through trials. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Difficulty is an opportunity for growth. And tests produce a testimony. Verse 2. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy toward them. Now this is interesting. God delivers them, but then look what He tells them. God's already done it. It's a done deal. But then look what He says in this verse. And when the Lord God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them. Now wait a minute. If God delivers them to me, what am I doing conquering them? Because God, God's ultimate plan is that we have a part in it. God delivers them, you destroy and conquer. God makes a way of escape, you respond. I praise God that He's the one that does the work, but He allows me to have a part in it. Who is it that saves people? Who is it that draws people into salvation? Who is it that convicts them of their sin? It's God, amen? And the person of the Holy Spirit. But let, yet, He lets you and I be the messenger of the gospel. He's the one that saves them. He's the one that transforms their life. But He lets us be involved so that we will be blessed. What a privilege, amen? And the same is true here. He's saying, look, I'm going to wipe them out. And when I deliver them into your hands, you get up and destroy them. You be faithful. I already won the battle. All you need to do is step out, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to take care of it. And again, 
They, they could be like their mom and dad. What did their mom and dads do? Did he tell them the land of promise is yours? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Just go in and get it. And what did they do? They got there and said, oh, no, we're not doing it. God promised and they didn't trust him. God's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. God has a great plan for what he wants to do with your life. You know, it's interesting. Our old nature screams at us, tries to bully us, but it can't touch us. Our old nature, our flesh can entice us to do things, but can't make us do anything. Devil can't make you do anything. But our flesh will entice us, won't it? Oh, just go over there. Yeah, right? And you hear that voice, right? Tells you, tries to draw you to do things, makes you want to feed it. And it can't make you do anything. We can turn away from it. It can't touch us. And he says to them, utterly destroy them. Again, how, does he, how, do, you, how do you reconcile this with Deuteronomy chapter 5? He tells them first, I'm going to destroy them, and then I want you to go in and utterly destroy them. I'm going to bring them into your hands. You go take care of them. And he's going to tell them, I want you to kill them all. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he just told them, thou shalt not kill. You know, we got a guy at, down where our office is that's got notes up, and he knows we're Christians and doesn't understand how Christians can be okay with the war. And here's the reality, you guys. The word for kill there is the word for murder. And as we talked about in Deuteronomy 5, there's a, com- a command against personal animosity and vengeance. And the word in Hebrew means to, hatred that leads to murder. But the word here for utterly destroying them is a Hebrew word to devote to God or to destroy something that is contrary to God. Do you know that it is murder if I go out in vengeance and kill somebody, but it is not murder if a mass murderer is put to death on death row? That is not murder. It is somebody being righteously, justly put to death by the government, not by me. I'm not the one to go out and seek vengeance. That's in God's hands. But God says in Romans that He uses those authorities in His hand to bring vengeance. And the same is happening here. He's telling them, look, I want you to go into the land. When I bring them to you, I will deliver them to you, but you still have to step out. You still have to put the sword in your hand and finish the battle. The Holy Spirit draws people into Himself, and we have to put the sword in our hand. What's the sword? The Word of God. And we put the Word of God in our hands, and we go into battle. Even though the battle belongs to the Lord, God desires that we would be faithful. Here in Deuteronomy 7, He's telling them, look, you're going to go in, you're gonna, it's a done deal, not if, when, and when you get there, there's gonna be seven armies mightier than yours, mightier than you, and you know what, I'm gonna bring them into your hands, and you need to step up and utterly destroy them. You need to learn to trust me. You're gonna put the enemy to death, destroying these seven nations. You know what's interesting? I believe this is a picture for us today, that any compromise will result in dire circumstances for us. The truth be told, many of us today simply do not want to completely destroy our sin. We want to go to heaven, but we got some sin we kind of like. And we want to hang on to it. Is there truth in that or not? Amen? And the same is true here. He says, look, when you go into the land, you cannot keep these people around. Because if you do, they will cause you to fall into idol worship. They will cause you to compromise in your walk. The same is true for us. If we keep sin around... It will cause us to compromise our faith. It will cause us to compromise our walk. It will get our eyes off of God. And he's telling them, you need to go in and wipe them out completely. If we don't, it will keep us out of the promised land. It will keep us out of God's blessing. You know, we want to weaken it. We don't want it to have control over our lives. But at the same time, often we do not want to destroy it. That reminds me of the story of Saul. You guys know that story. Saul was told to kill, go in and kill all the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15. Kill them all. 
And he goes in, and the Malachites in the Bible are a type or a picture of the flesh. And he says, go in and wipe them all out. I've already won the battle. Go in and take care of it. So Saul goes in there, and what does he do? He brings back the king. And he brings back some of the, some of the animals. And he parades the king through town, and he's got him on chains, and look what a great king I am. First of all, you didn't do anything. God did it all. He just used you. Amen? So he alone should be glorified, not you, Saul. But he brings the king of the flesh back. So it's like I, I wiped out the flesh, but I just held on to this one pet sin of mine, right? I mean, I, okay, I won't, I won't do this anymore and I won't do that anymore. I just want to hang on to this one thing that's really fun, but God knows it will only bring destruction. And what happened? Samuel saw Agag, and Samuel was an old man at the time, and he came up with a sword, and what did he do? He hacked Agag into small pieces. That's what it says. Word of God, putting away the chief of the sin to death. And the same is true here. He's saying, guys, you're going into the land and you cannot let them stay. Because if you do, you will fall into the very same sin that they're involved in. May we not compromise and keep sin around us. Bad company corrupts good morals. If we allow ourselves to be around in those type of environments, we will fall into sin. Verse 3, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son nor take their daughter for your son. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, it's interesting in those days, you know how treaties were often, treaties were often really cemented between tribes or between nations? One of the kings would either marry the other person's daughter or they'd give their sons and daughters to be married to each other and that would join these two nations together. Okay, the king married my daughter or my daughter married his son or whatever it might be and they would use that as a way to cement their relationship. Look, we're family now. And the Lord says to, to them through Moses, look, when you go in there, you need to destroy him, and don't you dare marry any of them. Because when you do, you've joined yourself to them. You've, you've signed a treaty with them. And you've made a bargain with your, with your flesh. Kings would give their sons and daughters to be married, and so too, when we, give, when we enter into a relationship with an unbeliever, we're being joined to somebody who's outside of God. You know, marriage is the ultimate covenant, two becoming one. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? If a believer marries an unbeliever, I want to make this real clear, you're marrying a dead person. The Bible says that someone who's not born again is spiritually what? They're dead. And, you know, if you were dating a corpse, they'd put you in some kind of a padded room with, right, to keep you from hurting yourself, right? The reality is that Physically, if you dated a corpse, people would think you're outside of your mind. But you know what? It's crazier as a Christian to date an unbeliever than it is for us to physically date a corpse. You need to date somebody or be courting with somebody, you're looking to somebody that's a potential spouse, potentially somebody you could spend the rest of your life with who loves God as much as you do or more. Amen? And what we see here, he says, don't you dare be married to them because if you do, you're going to fall into the very same sin. Can I tell you that there's nobody, nothing that's more excuses are made for in the 20 years I've been a pastor than someone dating an unbeliever, everybody's always got a special exception on why it's okay for them. And you know what? It always ends in disaster. Now, God can be gracious in the midst of it, and if you're here tonight and you're married to an unbeliever, then you need to pray for your spouse, and God's highest is that you remain married. But if you're here and you're not married, don't you dare marry an unbeliever. Because if you do, you're outside of God's way. You're telling God, you don't know what you're talking about, God. I know better. But He's really nice. He's got a really good job. He treats me well. He's dead. You're dating a dead guy. Amen? 
And don't you dare, because what you're doing is you're bringing disaster into your home. Because that, again, might be a real nice person from the world's perspective, but they don't know God. How can a man be the spiritual leader in your home when he doesn't know God? How can the woman raise godly children in your house if she doesn't know God? It's outside of God's will. It's not popular to say that today. It's popular to say, well, you know, hey, whatever, man. If you, if you, you, know, if you love each other, I'm sure it'll all work out. Yeah, right. I can't tell you how many times I sit across the table going, how come you weren't here before you got married? You should have taught, I would have told you, don't marry him, but now you're married, so now you, you're, done, you're stuck, okay? So here's what's going to happen. Now from this point forward, you need to honor God. But you know what? Too often people run off to get married because they're in heat, not in love, amen? Uh, we just want to get married. We want to make it okay to have our physical relationship, and they run off and get married. You know what? Look for somebody. Wait for the person God has for you. And he says, destroy the enemy, don't be joined to them. You marry an unbeliever, you're outside of God's will, it is sin, it results in an ungodly marriage, and it will impact you for the rest of your life. Do not take it lightly. Now, one more time, if you're married to an unbeliever, that's God's will that you remain married and you pray for that person, and you be a Christ-like example to them, that they may be one to the Lord by your heart and your attitude, that they may see Jesus in you. But if not, you wait for the person. And again, not just, don't just check the box. I went to church. There it is. That's it. I want to marry this guy so bad I can't stand it. Will you go to church with me on Sunday? By the way, a guy will go anywhere with you. He will. You're a Mormon? Okay, that sounds good. Oh, you're a Buddhist? Fine, that works for me. Right? You know what I mean? Guys are liars. Liars. Unsafe. Man, whatever it takes, right? Tell me that's not true, guys. Amen? It's so true. I've got a teenage daughter. I mean, get away, right? And the reality is that you want God's highest because people would say and do anything. You want a person who loves God apart from you. That their relationship with the Lord is, you know, it shouldn't be someone you drag to church on Sunday. See, you came to church. Now we can get married. No, 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 no. No, okay? His name's Christian. That's good enough, right? He was born in the United States. That makes it, no. And he's telling them, look, you're going to go into this land and you're going to be so tempted. Because can you can imagine, you walk in, there's all these people, hey, right? They're probably dressed different, different culture. Hey, this looks pretty good. Let me go marry one of these. What a temptation can come. Look what he says. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's pretty clear. You marry somebody who doesn't know God, it will impact your walk with God, period. It absolutely will. No missionary dating, Amen. Don't date an unbeliever, try to get him saved. That's not how, you wait for the person God has for you, settle for nothing less. Because if you don't, it says, you will be drawn away from the Lord. And God makes it clear here, when you enter into that, that sacred covenant with someone who's an unbeliever, it will result in you falling away as a believer. You'll begin to serve the gods of your unbelieving spouse. Maybe you think, well, I'm not going to serve idols, but no, maybe your unbelieving spouse is into, you know, vacationing a lot, or you know, loves to just have leisure time or whatever it might be. And before you know it, you're going to be going and hanging out with them instead of going to church. Because you've already made the decision that that person was more important to you than God because you married him after God told you not to. You've already said, this person is more important to me than God. That's why I married him. You may not say that out loud, but that's a decision you've made. And now it's going to impact the way that you walk with the Lord. You know what? God is not even close to where he should be in your life if you even consider putting a man or woman above him. Amen? Disregarding his command to not be unequally yoked. Man, how how serious is God about it? Let's read the rest of the verse. It says there, 
away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you, and he will destroy you suddenly. How does God feel about being unequally yoked? Yeah, go for it. He's cute. Got a nice car. Well, yeah, yeah, I understand, right? No. He says, don't, because he will come upon you. His anger will be aroused against you, and he will destroy you suddenly. Disobedience results in God's righteous anger and his righteous judgment. God is serious, not because he's trying to keep you from fun, but because he's trying to keep you from harm. You know, I've often thought about just parading a bunch of people up here some Sunday or Wednesday who all married unbelievers and just have them each tell you a five-minute story of how it worked out. And I got 150 of mine call, right? They just be lined up around the building. And then, and then you'd all go, I'll never do that. If I ever have a singles conference, I'm doing that. You know what I mean? I'm just going to bring him up here. I'm, yeah, and I thought he was so cute, and I married him, and then he turned into Satan at my house, right? I mean, that's what happens, because he's acting according to his nature, and we shouldn't be surprised. And God says, don't do it, because if you do, I'm going to be angry, and I will destroy you suddenly. You know, it's even worse than being destroyed suddenly sometimes, is being allowed to live in that environment for the next 75 years. Okay, that's what you wanted. There you go. Oh, and then you, you poor people coming to ch- Oh, man, and my husband, he doesn't love God, and it's just a disaster. My kids' hearts are divided. God is serious. Again, not because he's trying to keep us from fun, but he's trying to keep us from harm. Having been delivered from Egyptian bondage, it would be stepping right back into the same idolatry that they had left. The promised land was a place of God's highest, a place of great blessing, and compromise could keep people from God's highest, invite His divine discipline upon them. It would harm the next generation. And can I say this to moms and dads here? Parents, you're not doing your kids any favor when you look the other way. If your kids are dating unbelievers, you need to talk. I don't care if they're 28 years old. Go talk to them. Call them on the phone. Well, I'm 28. Well, you're still outside of God's will, and I love you enough to call you. Amen? And I want to make it clear, you know, hey... That, that is so key that we as parents not allow that stuff to go on. Because we love our kids and we know God's highest and we need to make a stand for it. Verse 5. But th- thus you shall deal with them. He says, don't marry them. He says, destroy. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. He says, when you go into the land and you see all the stuff, the wealth and the riches they have, don't accumulate it, don't keep it, don't have souvenirs out of it, burn it down. Get rid of all of it. Remove the remembrance of them from the land completely. You don't want to fall into the trap. These altars and pillars and images were used to worship the Canaanite gods. And the Canaanite gods were gods of sex. And you know what they did? They burned babies. They sacrificed babies. And we might say, man, that's horrific. What a, what a kind of a culture was that? Well, you know what? We do the same thing today. We call it abortion. What we do is we have... We worship at the goddess of sex. Everybody just free will, do whatever you want. And then if somebody gets pregnant, we just kill the baby. That's the same thing that was happening here. They were so sexually immoral, there was a lot of unwanted pregnancies, and then they would sacrifice the babies back to the very God they were, quote, worshiping when they fell into this trap to begin with. And it so breaks the heart of God. He says, look, remove all these objects. Take everything out of the way that will get your eyes off of God. And the, that, but notice, he says, not only remove the people, remove the stuff. Guys, We need to remove the unbelievers out of our life, but we also need to remove the stuff. If there's stuff in your home that makes you stumble in your walk with God, get rid of it. Got music that takes your eyes off the Lord, get rid of it. You got movies, alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it is. Get it out of your house. Cleanse your home. 
Get it out of there. Your home should be a sanctuary where God is honored above all else. We're to cleanse our home so as not to be easily stumbled. Verse 6. For you are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be the people for Himself, a special treasure above the people on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were at the least of the peoples. So first He tells them to be separated or keep them from sin and compromise. Then He tells them be separated because God loves you and He knows what's best for you. You are a holy people. The word holy means set apart. What makes you holy? Your good works? No, God's great work upon the cross. The word there for a holy people is a peculiar people. That means we're different than the world. We've been chosen by God. And they were holy in their standing before God even before there was ever any holy conduct. And the same is true for us. We're His treasured possession. God has set His love upon us, not because we're great in number or great in works, but because He's great. He says, look, I love you not because you're the biggest crowd, not because you're the greatest of people, but I love you because I'm God and I choose to love you. And He set them apart to to serve Him. We're to be people that are different than the world, salt and light, but at the same time, remember that it's God's grace and God's love and God's mercy that allows us to walk with Him. And he says in verse 8, But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Because of His love and His promises, He had delivered them from bondage, the bondage in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a type of what? The world. They've been delivered out of the bondage of the world. What else had happened? What, what was the event that brought forth the deliverance out of Egypt? Passover. Passover is the cross, a picture of the cross. So it was the cross, you know, the blood of the Lamb in the shape of the cross, right, that delivered them out of bondage. And the same is true for you and I. We've been delivered from the world. We're in the world, but not of it. We've been delivered by the blood of Christ. And what he's telling them there is that they've been delivered by the mighty hand of God. And it should be that the motivation for for obedience for us is to know that God loves us. You know, when you think about how much God loves you, Maybe we'll stop running from Him and start running to Him in times of difficulty. You know, too often we run away because we think He's going to make us do something we don't want to. Instead of just saying, God, man, You love me so much. Where else am I going to go? Who else am I going to turn to? And knowing that God loves us and wants what's best for us in the light of all we've done, it should cause us to run to Him. It makes it so much easier to obey and to destroy anything that would wreck our love for God when we trust His promises and realize how much He loves us. Verses 9-11, through 11, we should be separated because God is faithful to His promises. Therefore, know the Lord your God. He is God, the faithful God who keeps the covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. Now, I'll tell you what. Those are some pretty... That's a pretty heavy warning, isn't it? He says, you know what, if you love me, I'm going to bless you. If you obey me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to pour out promises upon you. But if you hate me, righteous judgment is about to follow. Now sometimes people read the Old Testament and they say, those poor Canaanites, what did they ever do? The Canaanites, you know, they, didn't do, they were just kind of hanging out in their own land. What were they doing? Well, they were worshiping idols. They had rejected God. They had had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to know God. They rejected Him over and over and over, and eventually they're given what they want. The same is true for people today. Everybody will stand before God one day. 
and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? But the sad part is that many are going to come and it's going to be a time of judgment. Most will come and it will be a time of judgment, not a time of blessing and rejoicing. And it says there, He repays them to their face. Now I have to confess in my flesh sometimes. I know, I know I'm the only one that's ever done this. You're sharing with somebody and they're just blaspheming God, right? Cursing God, mocking God, making fun of God. You think, man, I hope I'm standing next to you in line, man. Right? Anybody else ever thought of that? Or am I the only one, right? You know what I mean? The guy's just curt. I, you know, I, people in India, rah, you know, Hinduism and ah, our gods are idols. And, you know, you only got one Jesus. We got 30 million gods. And I'm like, dude, you know, there's that fleshly part of you thinking, man, I hope I'm standing next to you. We'll find all about your 30 million gods on Judgment Day because they won't be there. Amen? be a rock pile down on earth, right? And the reality is that our God is real and we're all going to stand before Him one day. And you know what? I look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. How about you? I can hardly wait. I can't believe that Jesus is going to hug me someday. Is that good or what? And I'm going to hug the creator of the universe. Man, I'm going to touch the the nail prints in his hand. I'm going to see the scars in his hand that he died for me. I'm so excited about that. But you know what? The cross is either a place of rejoicing for our redemption or it's a place of realization of our judgment if we don't know God. And he tells them, you know what? Everybody's going to come before him. And it's either going to be a place we can remember that that covenant He's made with us, the love that He's given us, or He's going to repay to those who hate Him to their face, it says. Verse 11, Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which I command you today to observe them. God loves us and is faithful to His promises, and He desires that we keep the commands. Not only the commands, but the laws and even the sacrifices. He's telling them, look, you're going to go into the land of promise, don't forget to keep making the sacrifices. Why? Because who do all the sacrifices point to? To Jesus. And he says, if you've stopped making the sacrifices, you're going to forget about me. Why do we continue to have communion? As often as you do this, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Looking back to the cross, looking forward to heaven, and looking within to examine our own hearts. And the same is true. Keep the sacrificial system. Keep all that I've commanded you. We don't have the sacrificial system anymore because Jesus fulfilled it all. God's covenant was a covenant of love. And he would show his love by blessing them if they would obey and chastening if they didn't. Verse 12 through 16. Separation results in blessing. Then it came to pass, because you listen to these judgment, and keep them, and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which He swore to your fathers. God had promised, He'd made covenants to the previous generations to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, to defeat their enemies, to be merciful toward them. Verse 13. And He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your your oil, and increase your cattle and offspring of your flock in the land of which which He swore to your fathers to give you. He will multiply their offspring. Jesus, or Jesus, God, told Abraham what? That He would make His descendants as numerous as what? The stars in the sky? And he says to them, I'm going to make your offspring, look at the sky, Abraham, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as this. And this is the fulfillment that had been given to, uh, the covenant given to Abraham was now going to be carried into the land of promise that he would simply obey. And I love this because he tells them he will not only bless their, their families and bless their homes, but he will also bless with them with provision. Because before, how were they eating? What, what fed them? Manna was coming out of the sky. 
But once they entered the land of promise, the manna didn't fall anymore, and now God was increasing their cattle to take care of their needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. If we will simply obey Him, He will take awesome care of us. Verse 14, You shall be blessed above all the peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. In those days, barrenness was considered a curse. If somebody couldn't have children, people thought that God had cursed them somehow. And he said, you know what? I'm going to multiply you and every woman is going to be able to have children. Every man is going to be able to have children. All of your cattle will be able to reproduce. I'm going to take care of you if you will simply follow me. Verse 15. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay them on those who hate you. Because of their obedience, Israel would escape the terrible diseases they had seen in Egypt, as well as the plagues that God had sent to them, had sent upon the land. For us today, God is our Father and He loves us, and, and it's so important that we trust Him, knowing that again, we can move in and out of His blessing. Here's the reality, you guys. If you've been born again, you're going to heaven. But at the same time, you can move in and out of His blessing. You can walk in the center of His will, and you can continue to be blessed by God, and you can disobey Him, and you can break fellowship with God. The good news is you can take a million steps away from God, and it's only one step back. Amen? No matter how, much, how many things you've done, you can always return right back into right fellowship with Him. Now, some people look at this verse here, and they would say, Now, see, if you're a Christian, you should never be sick. You ever heard that before? You ever heard that before? Faith movement, name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, and if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, if you read the whole Bible, you know, to me, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived was a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And you know what happened to Paul? Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. He prayed and God didn't take it away. Why? God wanted to keep him humble. You know what I also believe? I also believe that God does heal people from sickness. And I believe God will use it for His glory. But I also believe that sometimes the greater glory is that we continue to love God even though the sickness doesn't go away. Amen? Sometimes God allows sickness so that He might be glorified in it. And other times He removes the sickness so He might be glorified in the miraculous. But either way, God is still God. He's still in control and He still loves us. Amen? And the very key point He's making here is, if you want to face the plagues of Egypt, just disobey me. And here's the reality. There are plagues today most of which we will not get if we obey God. Now, it still can happen in remote cases, but if I am faithful to my wife and I do not do IV drugs, the chances of me getting AIDS are almost zero, right? But if I'm out doing IV drugs and sharing needles and I'm just you know, sleeping with everybody, guess what? My chances of AIDS just went up, didn't it? Now, Children get it through blood transfusions, and people that didn't do anything get it, right? But the reality is that most people that get it is because of a disobedient lifestyle. The same is true of venereal disease. The same is true of cirrhosis of the liver. Where do you get that from? Mostly. Drinking alcohol, right? Now, if I walk in obedience to the Lord, my chances of getting those diseases are pretty slim. And he's saying those plagues will come upon you if you continue to disobey God. Disease was not a lack of faith. It was not God's punishment in most cases. But it can be when we walk in rebellion to the Lord. Verse 16. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. Now again, I can't tell you how many people tell me, man, that God of the Old Testament is pretty rough. You ever thought of that? God of the Old Testament, it's the same God, you guys. 
He's a God of love and grace and mercy, but eventually he's a God of judgment upon those who continue to reject him. Israel was to have no pity on sin. They were to destroy it, not to be joined to it. Now lastly, let's look at the promises from the Father. First of all, he's been faithful in the past, which means we can trust him in the future. Verse 17. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. Now, they're going to be faced with some huge enemies. You already told them, you're going to go, enemies are coming. And when they come, there's going to be a part of you that says, how can we win? He says, I want you to remember Egypt. Now, were any of these armies as great as the Egyptian army that they were going to go face? Absolutely not. The greatest army on the planet was the Egyptian army. And what happened to them? They got wiped out. They did the dead man float. You guys remember that song? If you guys go to Sunday school, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, well, you know, right? Have you heard that song, right? And all of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float, right? Red Sea opened up. They walked through and God closed it back up on them. And, and the Egyptian army was wiped out. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. And I don't care how big the enemy is. If God is on your side, you'll win the battle. Ask David, Right? Anywhere from nine and a half feet to 11 feet tall Goliath coming down 40 days and 40 nights. You know, who, I defy you to come out, right? Can you imagine how deep Goliath's voice was? If you're 11 foot 7, 50, that's a voice on you, right? And he comes down there, right? And every day, and everybody's, right? And then David comes along delivering cheese to his brothers. That's what he did. He was, he was like the milkman, delivering cheese to his brothers. And he shows up and says, who's this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine coming against my God? I'll fight him. And his brothers go, dude, go back and tend the sheep. You ain't fighting anybody. David says, no, I'll fight him. He's coming against God. And David goes down there. He tried to put armor on him. He said, this stuff's too big for me. And he goes down there with, with five rocks. And you know why he had five rocks? Because Goliath had four brothers. And if you killed one, you had to kill them all. David said, five of them, that's all I need. Five rocks, right? Me plus God and five rocks, I'm going to take care of them. And he went down there and wiped him out. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? Me plus God is the majority. And he says, guys, when you see this army and you're overwhelmed, just remember what I did to Pharaoh. And just remember that I'm on your side. And you know what, guys? As we walk with God and we go through difficulty in life, remember the things that God has done for us in the past to give us faith for the future. When we're in the middle of trials, it's tough. But you know what's great about trials? When you come out the other side, your faith can be stronger because God delivered yet again. Amen? You go through difficulty and you're in the middle of it. Man, this is so tough. And then when you get out the other side, you're like, man, you know, God came through again. And you know what? He will come through yet again. And when we go through trials and when we go through tests, it causes us to grow. Verse 19. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand of the outstretched arm, by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. The plagues they had seen in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, that same God, that same power was still with them. The same God who provided for you in times of difficulty, who comforted you in times of mourning, who healed you in times of sickness, who delivered you from bondage, from sin and death, He is still here today to walk with you when things get tough. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're not alone? You know, when I was 14 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer right over behind my cheekbone. Just a bizarre spot. They found it when they were doing x-rays. And it was a huge mass up here behind my cheekbone. They sent me to three different specialists. And after going to these specialists, they determined the only way to get it out was they were going to they were gonna have to saw this part of my cheekbone out, 
get in there, hope they could get it all out, and then they'd have to reconstruct the surgery in my face, and I would never, not that I'm a great looking guy anyway, but I mean, I would never look the same, and there's a potential chance that the can- they wouldn't get all the cancer. And I'll never forget that I went to church on Sunday, Monday I was supposed to go in for the operation, and they had the elders come forward and lay hands on me, I was a freshman in high school, and they laid hands on me, and they prayed for me. And I go in the day I'm supposed to have the surgery. They're about to prep me. Mom says, I want you to take another x-ray. They go, Mrs. Johnston, we've got four sex x-rays from four different places. We don't need to take... She said, I want... An- Their insurance won't pay for it. She said, I don't care. I'll pay for it. I want you to take another x-ray. Before you saw my son's jo- you know, cheek open, one more set of x-rays. They go in. They look at the x-rays. Nothing there. God took it away. Now, can I tell you that God has used that in my life for the last 27 years to constantly remind me that my God is in control. Amen. And no matter how huge the giant may be, no matter how difficult the thing in front of you might be, praise God for trials. Praise God for tests, because without a test, we'd have no testimony, amen? And without trials, we would not be able to grow to the point where we can look back and see what God has done. And too often, I don't want to go through any difficulty. Well, you're not going to have the greater, that great of an opportunity to grow if you don't. And praise God, he's saying, look, you're going to be able to look back at those trials. You're going to be able to look back at those difficulties. You know what? Most often... I believe fear comes from, it's a lack of faith, but it's also a loss of memory. It's a lack of faith, not trusting God, but it's also a loss of memory, forgetting what God has done to you, done for you. Verse 20, moreover, the Lord your God will send a hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God is among you. So not only did God promise them, you know, all these promises we've seen so far, but he almost so promises that he's going to go before them. He reminds them of what he's done in the past, but he tells them, you know what, going forward, I'm going to be with you. And I'll send hornets in there if I have to. And I love this because it says of God, the great and awesome God. Amen. You know that word awesome, it gets tossed around a lot? There's only one who's awesome, amen? And it's him. And he says there that he will send hornets in. And I love the fact that God will do things in ways that we've never even thought of to deliver us. You know, they're standing at the Red Sea. They're back to the Red Sea. They're thinking, we're done. We're toast. Here comes the Egyptian army. Look at it. Chariots are coming. We're standing out here with sticks. What are we going to do? The guy in charge has got a big rod in his hand. That's going to help us a lot, right? They're coming with chariots and spears, and they got helmets on and breastplates. We're toast. We're backed up to the water. That was a real strategic move. Marching us over here, Moses, right? And then we see the power of God in the midst of difficulty as he raises up his hand and the sea parts. The same is true for us when we're, when we're the most desperate is when we get to see God move in the greatest way. And the same is true here. He says, I'll send hornets in. You know, God is in control and he can do anything to deliver us and even in ways you've never thought of. Things you would never think even possible. Verse 22. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. Now we don't like that. He says, I'll drive them out little by little. Now, they're going to the land of promise. Don't they just want them to just come in and just take like a sickle and wipe out the seven nations? Take them all out. Isn't that what we want with God? All right, God, I got a trial. Now, I'm thinking 20 minutes should be good for you to take care of this, right? I've had people say that. I've prayed and God wants, how long have you been praying? Two days. Two days, right? I've been praying for two days straight, right? I prayed over my Wheaties yesterday, I prayed last night, you know, and look, God just doesn't, wait a minute, slow down. We pray in our, our time, God answers in His time, amen? And God's timing is always perfect, and He's telling them He's going to take them out little by little. 
you will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Now, it's interesting that they may not understand why it's going so slow. They may understand why it's little by little. But it was not what's best for them, and it was not what was best for the land that they were about to inherit. Because if you wiped out all the people, then all the beasts that they usually killed and slayed would all be running all over the land, and they would be consumed by them. Again, God delivers us slowly that we might grow spiritually. He wants us to trust in Him day by day. If, can you imagine what it would be like if every time you prayed, He answered it instantly? Can you imagine? We just, he'd be the big Santa Claus up in the sky. All right. Got about 30 seconds. I'm hungry. Lord, I want a steak. I'd like it medium rare. You know, can you imagine? Boom, there it is. And we just walk around just demanding God to do things all the time. Instead of us being broken before the Lord and saying, in your timing and learning to grow and trust in Him. And I'll tell you what. I always look back and see how God's timing has always been perfect. Amen? At the time, I don't like it. Why isn't God moving, right? And then you look back and say, now I understand why, right? And praise the Lord that He is faithful when we are so faithless. Verse 23, But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. God was going to bring about destruction, but it was going to happen in His perfect timing not in theirs. Lastly, his promise of complete victory and the expectation of complete obedience. Verse 24, And he will deliver their kings into your hand, and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Again, no king will stand. No one will stand. If you obey me and my word, no one can stand up against you. Again, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 25, you shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Again, don't take the spoils of war. Destroy them completely, lest they infect your people. You know, it's interesting. He's telling them, wipe out the worldly things in your house. Don't hold on to them and don't have a garage sale. You've heard me say this before, right? Some of you maybe haven't heard this. When I was in high school, there was, there was no Christian rock when I was in high school. I'm that old, okay? When I was in high school, like the only Christian bands were like Love Song. You ever heard of them? You know, it's kind of the where are the flowers, that kind of stuff, right? You know, and I was into, you know, right? And I'm like, come on, man, somebody, you know. So I listened to garbage, garbage music. And you know what cured me? I'm with about five or six of my Christian friends. Doug Wilson was one of them who goes to church here. And we go to this concert, and I hate to even tell you the group, because you're just going to... Van Halen. <laughs> We're at a Van Halen concert, right? Me and my five Christian friends. This is back when there was no Christian rock. I mean, it was either, you know... And so we're sitting there, and during this concert, David Lee Roth gets up and goes, we're going to record this for album, right? Out of control. God needs Jesus. Pray for him. And he gets up there. He goes, we're going to record this now. And then he gets ready. He goes, come on, I'm going to ask you a question. Now you guys respond. He goes, who here likes to get blank and high? And everybody, ah, they're holding bongs in the air. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I remember being with my buddies. I'm like, what are we doing here? I mean, I was like, Lord, don't come back now. You know, please. I don't want to be here when you come back. And I was so convicted that I went home, and I was working at a music store at the time, and I had like 200 albums, I'm not exaggerating, because I got them for like a quarter, right? Albums, some of you young guys, they're these big plastic things, okay. I had like 200, I had like 200 albums, and I said, I can't listen to stuff anymore, I'm done. 
And so I took the albums over to my friend's house and left them at his door. And then later I thought, wait a minute. You know, it's like getting saved and saying, you know, I'm not going to smoke pot anymore, so I'll go sell it on the street corner. <laughs> you know, I got saved, and I'm not going to read porn anymore, so I'm going to go to the garage sale and sell it all. No, 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 no. Flush it. Break it. I thought, man, I should have had a, a stomping party on all my stuff, right? And what he's telling them here is the very same thing. Look, when you go to get these carved images, don't look at the gold that's on them and go, oh, sweet, I can get some stuff out of this. He says, look, destroy it. Wipe it out. Separate it from you. Don't hold on to it in any way, shape, or form because it will bring you harm. Don't sell it to make money from it. Lastly, nor shall you bring an abomination into your house lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it, utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. Don't bring that which is accursed into your home because it will harm you. Can a man hold fire into his bosom and not be burned? Can you bring stuff into your house that is ungodly and have it not impact your home? Pray about the movies you bring into your house. Pray about the music that's in your home. Pray about the, the TV chasings that you watch or if you've got any of those pay channels. Pray about that. Pray about the stuff that comes through on your internet. Pray about the books that are in your home. Pray about the stuff that you bring into your house because it will impact your home. You will become like whatever you bring into your home. So in closing, separation from the world. Separation keeps us from sin and compromise. If we're separated to God, it keeps us from sinning and falling into compromise. Separation. We should be separated because He loves us and He knows what's best for us. We should be separated from the world because God is faithful to His promises, either to bring love, those who love Him, to give them blessings, or to bring judgment upon those who hate Him. Separation results in blessing being separated to God and obedient to Him. And then lastly, promises from the Lord if we are separated to God and from the world. He has been faithful in the past. He will go before us and care for, and care for our needs even before we know what they are. He will bring victory in His perfect timing. He promises to bring, bring us complete victory. And we can, again, trust that God is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I thank You on this Thanksgiving for your son, for sending your son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us clear direction in your word. Father, I pray that we would not be satisfied having one foot in the kingdom and the other foot in the world. And Lord, at the same time, may we not look down on people. May we have a burden for them. May we love them. May we be one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But at the same time, Father, as we minister to the world, may we have no fellowship with it. May we learn from the example that Moses gave to the children of Israel, the same example for us. May we tear down the idols in our home. May we destroy anything that would take our eyes off of you. May we not compromise our faith. May we not hold on to a pet sin. But Lord, may we trust you completely. May we know that you're a loving and a gracious God and what you want for us is what is best for us. So Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.